0: And welcome into the Hoisty in Colors Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Back after Easter weekend, took a few days off from the podcast, so we did not jump on right after the UCF series sweep and it took a few days off, but we are now back. So, of course, we're going to talk East Carolina baseball, the Pirates seemingly hitting their stride at just the right time as the regular season begins to wind down, about a month or so left. In the regular season, we'll get into what ECU has to do to continue their push for an at-large. Are they going to have to win the conference regular season? Are they going to have to win the tournament? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about much more as well on the baseball front. Head into a crucial weekend series against Tulane. Also, a lot of this podcast will consist of me answering your questions, uh, submitted A chance on Twitter for you guys to write in with your Q and A segment, so we'll spend a lot of the podcast just answering a bunch of questions on that front. Also, want to address one big question that I've gotten several days in the past, uh, or over the past several days on several occasions, and that is what to make of all these players exiting the ECU football program and entering the transfer portal. Since spring ball has ended, basically there's almost been a guy or two, if not multiple, entering the portal every single day. I believe the count now is up to eight, and I may be leaving somebody off. Um, Since spring ball ended in early April, seven of those are scholarship players, the vast majority of them coming from the 2021 recruiting class. And you know, a lot of people are seeing this news. They're seeing players exit the program left and right. Or I guess that's how it looks on the surface. And there's some questions today written in on Twitter. Should we be concerned about the players exiting the portal, the, the seemingly large number of players? Uh, is there a mass exodus? What's going on? No, there, there's no reason for concern if you're an ECU fan. That, that's the short of it. There's a lot that's going into this thing in terms of You still have the COVID ripple effect that we talked about when all this stuff was going down, that there was going to be an unfortunate ripple effect of, A, the 2021 recruiting class where the players did not get the chance to visit the school in person that they were committing to. Remember, everything was done virtually during that time because no visits were allowed. Uh, B... The coaching staff did not get the chance to evaluate the vast majority of prospects, both from a physical standpoint in person and also seeing them actually play football outside of just their junior film before taking their commitment. So you have that aspect of things going against that particular group. And you also have the extra eligibility allowed for every single player during that season. Remember the 2020 season, whether you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, etc., That year did not count against you. So, guys who are seniors right now on ECU's football roster technically should not be on the team in terms of what they were expected to be upon taking the, you know, upon coming to ECU in a certain class. But with that extra year of eligibility, every single player got an extra year. And so now it almost made the 2020 class become the 2021 class in terms of eligibility. Remaining now, we'll see how many of those guys opt to take advantage of spending five, six years in college if they redshirt. Um, but you can almost cancel out the 2021 class, which was a smaller class to begin with, with with the extra eligibility allotted to the 2020 class and really the entire roster. But anyways the the extra eligibility allowed has forced a roster crunch not only at ECU but across America because certain guys you were expecting to move on in a particular time frame are instead sticking around. That makes it tougher for guys at the bottom of the depth chart to move up because those upperclassmen simply aren't leaving. If you're in a good program like ECU is right now, a pretty stable roster with a lot of sophomores and juniors that have played a lot of football, it's hard to crack that too deep if you're in that 2021 freshman class. You've been in the program a year or two. You're probably not going to play for another two years at most. Uh, I think the reality is kind of maybe hit some of these guys. And, two, ECU has to get down to 85 scholarships because, as mentioned earlier, you're at a point where some of these guys you expected to move on. Instead, they're back. They're key players on your team. Your hope is to make a conference championship run this year. You're not going to force those players out. You're going to force the guys, or not force, but you're going to talk to the guys at the bottom of the roster, and you're going to look at them and say, hey, Maybe we can find you somewhere else to play um, that you can see the field right away. Hey, look, I'm, I'm not, you know, this is not a knock against any of the players that have, that have entered the portal, but the, the, the hard facts are none of these guys, none of these guys that have hit the portal post-spring and dating back to the end of the season, none of them were projected to be, you know, on the two deep. The only one that has hit the portal, and this was right after the season ended, was Nolan Johnson, the cornerback, uh, who ended up transferring to Miami of Ohio. Outside of that, and Slade Roy, the long snapper who transferred to LSU. Outside of that, all these transfers are are bottom of the depth chart guys or young guys who just have not progressed yet. And, you know, likely we're looking at another year or two uh, before playing. So people who maybe don't follow the roster as closely are saying, man, I'm kind of worried about losing so many young guys or so many Transfers, etc. Is that a sign of, of a bad locker room, bad culture? No, not at all. This is just college football. If you look across the country right now, you can go to different team sites on twenty four seven sports. Following spring practice, there's always another wave of transfers. After spring practices, guys see where they're at on the depth chart. Certain guys don't progress in the coach's eyes. They're kind of maybe not asked to leave, but encouraged to, hey, go find another spot where you're going to play. If you stay here, you're just not going to play. And this is, you know, the the scholarships are a year-to-year deal. I mean, nothing is guaranteed at this point. Every day is almost a tryout, you know, especially with college football becoming more and more of a business where the players can earn money off uh, name, image, and likeness. Obviously, the coaches are making a lot of money to win, and if they don't win, they're going to get fired. So, Uh, College football is a business, and part of that is making your roster as good as possible, both in the short and long term. So uh, certainly ECU, I think, feels that the roster right now is at a point where they can look into trying to win as much as possible this year. So some of these guys who are going out, their scholarships will be used on some older players to potentially try and win this season and next season. So, you know, all this is, is, is done by design. I feel like, and more so than guys just up and leaving the program because they're not happy, or because they don't want to be there. And and again, I you know there's some of these guys who I would have liked to have seen get the opportunity to progress and you know stick on the roster, get another year or two. Like a J.V. McCray, defensive lineman. I think he's got ability. I think Jaden Chalmers at corner, has some length and speed. Um, you know Troy Lewis, that receiver was always an interesting guy to me. I Always saw him as a big raw receiver, pretty big guy. And so maybe if those guys got another year or two, perhaps they turn in, into contributors. But uh, they just won't get that opportunity at ECU. That doesn't mean they can't go somewhere else and thrive. So I, I wish them nothing but the best. Get to know a lot of these guys through the recruiting process, and uh, they were they were always good to me. So um, you know. It, you know, the, the thing with the 2021 class is you had it was during COVID. Uh, you know, the probably unfair to both the kids and the coaches. And I think we're seeing that now with ECU's 2021 class. I will say it does, you know, it's easier now to replace a, a missed class due to the portal because you can always bring guys in who basically have the same eligibility left and kind of replace them. But I do think it puts a lot of emphasis on. Okay, basically the 2021 high school class at this point was a complete miss. I mean, I think you can look at that and pretty much say that outside of Richard Pierce and perhaps Pop McKay, who are still with the program. Um, But I think it creates an emphasis on the 2022 and 2023 classes that ECU has to find some young talent in those classes that it can stay on the roster and develop, you know, to become kind of the next wave for ECU football. And the early signs with the 22 class, especially with several – of the early enrollees are very positive on that front. So I'm not concerned about that. Um, You know, I think it's just more of a byproduct of the roster being in such a good spot now and still having, you know, if you look at the roster, there are very few seniors, good amount of juniors, but the majority of the guys are sophomores and freshmen still. So you still have a very young team in terms of eligibility. And I don't think any of these guys leaving should be a, a huge cause for concern. That's just my take on the matter. I know I've gotten a lot of questions about it. I'm sure I'll continue to get questions about it every time someone enters the portal, but I just wanted to address that right off the cuff uh, before we get into your questions. Also, wanted to talk some baseball real quick. ECU goes on the road and sweeps UCF. and I'll be honest, I was texting with a couple people going into this stretch where ECU played a bunch of road games in a short amount of time at Elon last Tuesday at UCF three game series over Easter and then of course they return home last night versus UNCW but then back on the road to Tulane and then at NC State next week so a stretch of 8 of 9 games on the road thus far ECU is 5 and 0 in the first not or in the first 5 of those 9 games in the stretch which is pretty impressive and i say going into the stretch this would be the real and only chance ECU has to put itself back in the at large mix because the conference is so down If you get past this stretch of pretty much the other top teams in the league, UCF and Tulane, you're not going to have an opportunity to improve your resume enough to make up for that ground if you struggle during this stretch. Well, through the start of it, ECU has more than taken care of business to put themselves back into that mark. They're now up to 51 in the RPI. This time last week, they were sitting at like 80 or so, and we know that road wins count more in the RPI. As opposed to home wins so the sweep of UCF was huge and not only put ECU ahead of UCF in the conference standings but basically eliminated the Knights from at-large consideration going through the stretch run of the season now right outside the top 50 in RPI ECU faces another critical road series at Tulane and Tulane I think this entire time realistically, they were always going to be the biggest threat to East Carolina in terms of repeating for a conference championship. They've got a great offense, some great hitters. You know, they're top-heavy pitching. Don't have a ton of pitching depth, but not many teams in college baseball do. So this is another crucial series this weekend. ECU enters the weekend one game up on Tulane at 7-2 and two in conference play, Tulane 6-3 and three in league play. If the Pirates go on the road and win two out of three, they are going to have the clear inside track to a regular season conference title. And also Tulane right now sitting at 50 in the RPI, ECU sitting at 51. You know, you're going to get at most, at most, one at-large team from the American. It currently ranks 10th in conference RPI, which is not good at all. And so you're very likely only going to have a one bid league, two bids max. I think the winner of this series has a real shot at getting that at-large bid. Uh, Certainly, Tulane. I think it's a must-win for them, and I think ECU. It's got to be seen as a must-win as well. The Pirates go on the road, take two out of three at least from Tulane, and and along with a uh, series sweep over UCF. You know that's a pretty loud statement right there, and that has them right back into legitimate consideration because you got to be top forty-five. I think RPI-wise, to really feel good about it at the end of the season, as far as an at-large bid. So I think they got to win this series, or at least. Uh, Certainly can't go down there and get swept. So, you know, if they win one, you don't feel terrible. But if you win two, I think you feel really good. And at that point you would be two and a half games up effectively on Tulane for the regular season conference championship with four conference series remaining and uh, the head to head tiebreaker as well. So big, big weekend series. You know, a lot of people have been asking Cliff Goblin what they've done differently during the stretch. Uh, he said after the game last night, another quality win as they take down UNCW 8-2. to We've been doing the same thing eight years. Nothing's changed as far as hitting, and basically the guys are just finding that comfort zone. I think they're getting into more of a rhythm. We have seen the lineup stabilize a bit. I think that's helped the guys settle into their roles. Uh, they know what position they're going to play. They kind of know where they're going to be hitting in the order. I think that's obviously helped their confidence, their confidence, familiarity going into the game they know who's hitting behind them who's sitting in front of them they can kind of feed off that so i think we're just seeing a group that's always had talent i don't think they're as talented as some of the past ecu teams i don't see a ton of pro talent right now among this upperclassmen group but they, they certainly have talent by um the american athletic conference standards and we're starting to see that play out as the confidence grows and guys kind of settle down a little bit so huge weekend series at tulane all afternoon games, including Friday, as I was told, Tulane's got graduation going on this weekend. So that's why all the games, including Friday, are in the afternoon. I believe 3 p.m. is the scheduled first pitch for Friday on ESPN+. So we'll have coverage of that all weekend long on hoistecolors.net. All right, let's take a quick break. We will be back on the other side to answer your questions on Twitter. You're listening to the Hoisty Colors podcast. all right welcome back to the hoisty colors podcast we've got several questions on twitter so let's dive right into them um dan wants to know interested in the development on the relationship between qb1 and pass catchers three new starting wide receivers with sneed cj and Omotosho gone worries me that there could be a slow start to the season and specifically how is jalen johnson look can he be a legitimate wide receiver one. Well, first off, we don't know for sure that C.J. Johnson is gone. Uh, We know Sneed and Omatosho are gone. C.J. still suspended indefinitely, still technically a part of the team and could return, so keep an eye on that. But uh, as far as the relationship between the quarterbacks and the receivers, I mean, that's something that's still developing. And to be quite honest, it's not there yet because, A, Isaiah Winstead, the Toledo transfer – who I projected to be the team's number one receiver as of now, just based off talent and size. Uh, he will not be here until the summer. Jalen Johnson, you asked about him. It's really hard to say because he really didn't practice much in the spring. Uh, he got injured early in the spring. Practice probably about a week total. And I, th- I think the early signs are he can definitely be a starting caliber receiver. Can he be a legit wide receiver one? you know, To me, a, a, a number one receiver – True number one is a 1,000-yard potential guy. And I don't know if Jalen Johnson is that, but he can definitely be a contributor. I think he's definitely probably among the most talented and fastest receivers in the room. So I think he's a starter. Uh, They're also looking at another potential transfer as well who's visiting this weekend. Check that out on hoistedcolors.net. And so this is a, you know, if you get C.J. Johnson back and and you add three receiver transfers to that, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at a pretty talented uh, and deep receiver room, even with the loss of Sneed. and Matosha, the question is who emerges, who becomes the guy, who does Holton Naylor's trust in certain situations. And that is a concern if you're, you know, worried about a slow start to the season. But that's just part of kind of how things uh, shook out the way that, you know, with with Sneed moving on, with CJ getting in trouble, it has created some uncertainty there. The good news is it's not like you're – you don't know what you have going into the first game and other places like Holton can still count on Ryan Jones. ECU and Donnie Kirkpatrick can still count on Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell on third and short. They have a, a pretty proven offensive line and an offensive line that's going to grow in numbers and talent here shortly. So uh, it's a concern, but I can tell you that the coaching staff is working hard on it, and it's something that the players, from what I understand, you know, Holton Ayers has has led a ton of player-led workouts to try and continue to bring that chemistry along. So it's something that we really won't know until the season gets here, but I think they are going to put in the work to minimize it as much as possible. All right. Trip wants to know, are you aware of any ECU NIL collectives for East Carolina football or basketball? If so, any amounts to speak of. So there are no official collectives. And what he's asking, I believe is saying like a fund set up by donors or by local businesses to essentially, a pot of money to spread around to current athletes. Uh, Not officially, but it is something that is being worked on behind the scenes. I know several donors have um, gotten together to come up with a plan. I do expect it to be in working order fairly soon. Um, Dollar amounts, I think you're going to see it start in the couple hundred of thousands uh, range as far as money and maybe go up from there. But you got other teams in the American SMU, Memphis who have clearly gone in on this NIL deal and how they can reward their current student-athletes and the biggest part of this for me Is you don't want them to transfer? If they become kind of household names and ECU is already set up several of its star athletes in certain sports with NIL deals to prevent that But you always got to have as much ammo as possible, especially with the way college sports are going To me if you don't adapt you will die and it does sound like ECU is adapting and I applaud the donors who are behind kind of this uh, early on. So uh, I do expect it to to get into uh, motion here soon, although I don't think it is official as of now. Uh, Destry has a question as well. He says, any starting caliber guys with size and a proven point guard coming in with Mike Schwartz's last three scholarships, are we looking at a Ricky Stokes eight-win type season otherwise? I think Mike Schwartz is about the um, – complete opposite of Ricky Stokes as you can get just having spent some time around Schwartz and people that know him. He's extremely sharp. I don't think he's going to be a, a bomb of a head coaching hire. I think he's going to be a very good X's and O's coach. Uh, I do think, you know, recruiting, getting the players here will take, um, will be the biggest question mark and, and perhaps will take some time to develop some guys, but you know, I, I don't see this as an eight win season coming up. I mean, I do think there are going to be severe growing pains. I think he's going to be a lot better than Ricky Stokes, though. As far as a proven point guard coming in, uh, it sounds like they're going to recruit the point guard position in numbers and hope that one of those guys pans out. They have gone after some transfer point guards. I do expect them to add a transfer point guard. One guy they actually had visit in the last few days. He's played a little bit in a big conference, but as, I would not classify him as completely proven yet, but he certainly has talent. So if you add him, you add a, a couple of freshmen to the mix, you know, you have a good chance of one or two of those guys panning out and then you're set for a few years. So, um, but no real dynamic proven point guard that's on the board as of right now, Destry, but I do expect that it's clearly been an emphasis during recruiting. And I think it will continue to be one uh, Josh and N.C., Yes. Will Ryder Giles have the best ERA of all shortstops in college baseball this season? Well, I don't have the I don't have the the list of shortstops uh, that have an ERA, but I don't even know if we can call Ryder Giles a shortstop at this point. Like clearly, obviously, he's been the starting shortstop for the past few years, but I almost just see him as a pitcher now. I mean, with him throwing. 80 to 90 pitches a week he's basically not playing the field to give his arm time to bounce back and he's almost a a pitcher at this point so uh he might just have the best era among pitchers outside of cameron by from wichita state who was unbelievable in the ecu series but yeah i don't know man i mean that's it's been an awesome story um It's been fun to follow. You know, Ryder's a great dude, so I've enjoyed seeing him get the uh, success he deserves on the mound, and and certainly he'll be in a big spot this Friday against a very very good two-lane team, but uh, it's been awesome. And could you imagine if the the team that East Carolina finally breaks through to make Omaha is is led by Ryder Giles on the mound? If you would have told us that at the start of the season, or that they would even be in this position to begin with, I think we all would have just... Laughed it off because you know Ryder certainly a competent pitcher and an above-average pitcher Out of the bullpen but to go out there on Friday night And be flipping up 68 mile-per-hour breaking balls and 84 mile-per-hour fastballs in on the hands I mean, he's just he's kind of a magician on the mound at this point. It's pretty fun to watch and uh, Definitely happy for his his success All right, our next question comes from Ariel Epstein you guys may be familiar with her I used to spend time at WCTI working with Brian North on the TV side of things. Now works for Yahoo Sports, known as the Prop Queen. First of all, shout out to Ariel for betting on herself a couple years ago and making it big. I now see her on MLB Network, and I don't watch NBA TV, but she's up there as well, which is just awesome as a betting analyst. So uh, Ariel is awesome. Really happy for her success. But she writes in. She's got a question. She says, who do you miss the most? Out of me, Zach Maskevich, Alex Walker, Tyler Feldman, and Josh Graham. Uh, you know, Josh Graham first first name that comes to mind here. I think he's definitely the the number one. But no, nah, no, nah. I know a lot of ECU fans give Josh Flack, and but I will say this: really, all five of these people no longer uh, working in the ECU market. They have moved on to uh, to different roles. Each are having. Very good success in their careers, uh, but definitely miss all five of you guys. Um, who do I miss the most? I'm going to hurt some feelings here. I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to go through each, and and I don't even know if anybody cares, but just in case all five of you are listening, I'm going to go through all five of you and say something positive about each of you because I really do miss all you guys. Uh, Josh Graham will start there. ACC Homer. That's what everybody <laughs> knows him as. Uh, in Pirate Nation. And Josh, I'll tell you what, you know, I went I went to ECU with Josh. I think he was a year underneath me, um in terms of, you know, class and grade. But Josh works as hard as anybody. And I know that his you know at times he like gets on people's nerves. And he gets on my nerves at times. He's just got that personality. But he really is a good dude. And I owe Josh the world because I've been to one game as I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I've been to one Denver Broncos game. In Denver, I've been to several road games on my own, but this guy hooked me up with free tickets when he used to work in the Colorado radio market. To Sunday night football, Broncos-Packers, Mile High Stadium, now known as Empower Field, uh, but Aaron Rodgers versus Tom uh, versus Peyton Manning, and this was the year Denver won Super Bowl Fifty, so uh, and the Broncos kicked the Packers' ass that night it's probably one of the best nights of my life to be quite honest and I owe that to Josh Graham so Josh is sincerely a good dude um again I know he gets on people's nerves with some of his takes which are, some of them are outrageous but uh he is a good dude and he works hard he's he when he covered ECU he was at every event at every press conference asking good questions asking some questions that got on people's nerves but he worked his hell off so uh happy for Josh and his success as well uh Tyler Feldman uh, another another sports journalist that rubs some people the wrong way certainly got on Cliff Godwin's nerves with some questions. And I'll say this about Tyler: really good journalist in terms of, you know, again works his tail off, asked legitimate questions, not afraid to ask the tough question. And so Tyler, who used to have a, a very famous Feldman's feelings on uh, on pirate radio with Cliff Brock's segment. He had the Feldman's feeling segment. He would, you know, he would have ran a little bit about stupid stuff, but I thought Tyler overall uh, enjoyed his time in Greenville and certainly miss him as well. And he always kept us entertained. There's no doubt about that. He would not be afraid to piss Cliff Goblin off with some questions. Uh, Alex Walker, who is now uh, in Kentucky, covering a little bit of everything out there, you know, the Wildcats and whatnot. He is, a, he is also a Penn State grad. Just like Tyler. Um, yeah, Alex is probably the one of the coolest dudes just down to earth. Awesome. And he was pretty much the complete opposite of Josh and Tyler in that he did not try and ruffle many feathers. And so Alex was super chill, um, easy to talk to, and definitely really good on the air, just as Tyler and Josh are as well. So I'm um, certainly happy for his success. Zach Maskovich. Man, Zach also chill. Also a great dude. He's now down in Orlando. Caught up with him this past year when ECU took took on UCF. Super awesome dude. Another guy who was not afraid to ask good questions. I think he asked Scotty Montgomery after the loss to North Carolina a if he felt like he still deserved to be the head coach at ECU which was a bona fide legitimate question and um, I don't know if that made Brian Bailey very happy as they were the uh, official station of the pirates at the time. But uh, I think uh, I, you know, I give, give credit to Zach. He was not afraid to ask questions. And he's also famous for his uh, Super Bowl national anthem uh, prop bet story. So check that out. Sorry, Zach had to bring it up. Uh, And then Ariel, of course, great personality. Love talking baseball with Ariel. And we played fantasy baseball a lot together. She's a big Yankees fan. Uh, She came down for the North Carolina ECU Series earlier this season. Hung out with myself, Josh, Malcolm, and others as well. So it was great to catch up with Ariel. Now, like I said, she's doing big things. So who do I miss the most out of all you guys? Man, that was a long, long little bit there on all five of you guys. Um, I'm going to have to call it a tie outside of, I do have to say, one of this five in the group happens to be a little bit nicer to look at than the rest of the four. I think you guys can guess who I'm uh, who I'm referring to here. So uh, definitely, I'm gonna pick Ariel by default, and she also asked the question. So I'm gonna pick her, and I'm hoping that none of you five actually listen to this. So hopefully, you guys are doing bigger and better things. But um, but not nah, miss all you guys and, and glad and happy for your success. All right, moving on here. Daniel says, can we ban Ori from the site? I have him muted, and somehow he still finds ways to annoy me. All right, so if you're an ECU basketball fan or you follow ECU basketball and Hoist of Colors, Ori, we talked about him last week in the protocol Call segment. This guy is just relentless in his takes. Makes several good points, but it's just nauseating that he just hammers the same point home and home and home and home and home and home, and home, and home again and again and again and again. And so there's the times it just drives me insane, including the last 24 hours. It's driven me insane, and I have to, even I have to step away. But I can't ban the guy for literally sharing his opinion unless he's just cussing people out or taking personal shots. I mean, he's just constantly evaluating the roster. And he's, I'll just say this, he's very negative. But I can't ban him. I've warned him several times just that it gets old. But, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, it's not like he's breaking any board rules but I understand where you're coming from and so we'll uh I won't ban him unless he starts taking personal shots uh where are we on scully numbers Daniel asked and how many more incoming transfers do you expect how many more outgoing transfers I think ECU is right around the 85 mark at this point I don't have the exact numbers in front of me but it feels like they're about there I ran the math a couple days ago and they were I think one or two over I would probably say you're going to see another receiver and two more defensive players. And so you probably have to get a little under eighty five. And then you might give a walk on or two a scholarship as well. So I think you're still gonna see maybe a player or two exit and probably, you know, three three guys come in as well as maybe a walk on or something like that added to scholarship if you have if you have that ability. Uh, Judge asks, how do you feel about the receiving corps for next year? Seems to be our only real potential weakness. Can you give some insight on who may be able to step up and replace Snead, Matoso? CJ, any chance CJ makes it back to the team? Well, I kind of outlined all the the transfers earlier, so I won't repeat that. Um, As far as CJ making it back to the team, you know, I would say as of right now, I would give it a 60% chance he's back with the team, again, this is a fluid situation. He's still suspended, but I do think there is a path for him to return. We'll see what happens in the uh, in the coming weeks. Maybe we'll hear something in May. Uh, other receivers. You know, it's not like there's no other receivers on the roster. In fact, Josiah Hatfield has been a, a pretty proven receiver when he's been on the field. He's explosive. He can make big plays happen. So Josiah Hatfield, to me, has a chance, you know, to be kind of a, a sneaky breakout pick. I feel like we've been saying just how it feels a, a breakout pick for the past several years. But, um, you know, I feel like this is his time. If not now, I don't know when it will happen. Uh, Kerry King is, and Josh Murphy are two other guys to watch walk-on receivers who have kind of played their way into the depth chart, the two deep. I think they can contribute. Taji Hudson and Tyler Savage are other guys who have impressed me. Taji Hudson's got big size on the outside. He's really come along as a uh, quarterback to receiver, you know, kind of position swap early in his career. Still figuring it out, but has really progressed under Raquan Boyette this spring. Tyler Savage has been kind of shifted into a slot receiver slash tight end role, which kind of fits his size better. So, you know, I think with the transfers coming in, we'll see what happens with C.J., I think you have more than enough potential here. It's just a matter of who emerges, who kind of establishes themselves as the guys. Rohan wants to know, who do you project for punt return and kick return this year? Uh, Kick return, Keaton Mitchell and Shai Hatfield got a lot of work during the the spring, so I would expect those two guys, who are probably your fastest guys, to get looks back there. Uh, You could see Hatfield back on punts. You could also see uh, Malik Fleming doing punts as well. Uh, there, there are several young guys who have speed, who have ability, but those are the main names I've seen as of the spring. Josh Murphy's another sure-handed guy with some speed who could get a look in, in both units as well. Uh, but those are the main guys right now. It will be weird to not see Tyler Sneed doing that for the first time in several years. Uh, Evan says, any worry behind the recent spike of football player transfers? Uh, no, I addressed that at the top of the show. And so I'm going to say um, no. No as of right now uh christian bateman says what guys have you heard schwartz is looking at in the transfer portal uh did mention earlier there's a there there was a point guard on campus earlier this week i uh, cannot share that name at this time we'll hopefully have more info to share in a public forum uh, in the coming days we've talked about it in the vip basketball recruiting thread on the on the message boards but um right now cannot share it in public forum um you know, they have looked into some some transfer bigs as of right now. I don't get the vibe that any of those guys are necessarily close to committing or anything like that. Ezra Asur, who's a 6'8", uh, four-star recruit, according to one recruiting service from Liberty Heights. He's on an official visit starting today, Wednesday, and is a physical presence. Um, played at IMG Academy last year and now is at Liberty Heights in Charlotte. You know, 230, 6'8", really moves people, really good rebounder, kind of a double-double type machine, athletic. If they can get him, I don't even know if you really need a, a transfer portal big because I think he can be a potential immediate impact guy. Although you would like a you know, a 6'10", 6'11", shot blocker from the portal, but those guys don't grow on trees. Uh, Will says, I have heard rumors of Cliff Goblin asking a couple of guys to move on after this year, especially in the bullpen. Any idea of who that would be? Um, I would say this. I have not heard like that he's asking anybody to leave. I do know that he has challenged some of the younger players on the team to essentially be tougher, or at least that's what I've heard. And so you'll probably see some attrition. You see some attrition in every sport, but baseball, certainly the guys who aren't pitching right now who are young, you know, I think you can kind of look at the roster and see maybe who those guys would be unless they're hurt. Um, you know, one guy who I expected to have a big role in this year's team who has not panned out to this point is Merritt Beaker, really talented freshman lefty. I don't know what his future holds. You know, he made some appearances early in the year and now has kind of disappeared. And so there are other guys in that boat as well, potentially among the younger players on the team. So that's just something we'll have to kind of reassess early in the off season. But I don't have any specific names at this time other than Beaker, who would seem to you know, fit that that category just based off what I, I kind of uh, have gathered. Uh, another will ask, could you give us a look into what the football roster might look like if the extra COVID year wasn't a thing? Who wouldn't still be with the team? Who might have stuck around, etc. Interested to see how different this team might be. You know, that's a great question, uh, Will. And honestly, if I would have seen this before I came on the air. I would have looked into it a little more. I'm just kind of going off the cuff here, but certainly Holton Nailers would not be your quarterback. So it would either be Mason Garcia, Ryan Stubblefield, or Alex Flynn. More than likely, Mason Garcia. Honestly, the rest of the team outside of linebacker where you would not have Miles Berry and Xavier Smith and you would not have Gerard Stringer, Um, the rest of the team would be just about the same. As far as I can tell, kind of looking at it roughly here, uh, quickly, yeah. So, without the extra year, you would have lost a couple of guys, maybe some offensive linemen or an offensive lineman or two, but it would mainly be the quarterback situation. You know, Mason Garcia would probably be your guy, and then you would have to replace some linebackers. You probably would have taken another transfer linebacker or two um, for immediate playing time. Maybe would have taken another DB to replace Gerard Stringer, along with Jair Wilson and, and Demetrius Mooney playing that spot. So, but really, it doesn't affect it so much. But certainly, if the team was under Mason Garcia's leadership already versus Holt Naylor's, that would have made for a completely different off season just from uh, from our perspective as far as covering the team and and you know what to follow and that sort of stuff. All right, a couple more questions here. Skull Pirate says, although Garrett Saylor has been doing really well lately out of the bullpen, do you think it's time to put him back into the weekend rotation? The whole team started slow, so I don't think we should use that as an accurate depiction of his starting abilities. He would be a great Sunday guy. So, you know, I don't have a problem with putting Garrett Saylor back in the rotation. I think he's clearly kind of figured out his sinker. You know, the one thing I will say with, with Sailor is it's always been kind of more of a a routine mental thing with him like once he's in a groove mentally he seems to be really good and obviously he still had his ups and downs in the bullpen but for the most part if you look at his strikeout batting average against numbers he's been pretty dominant and he's given up some hard contact at times but he's been you know the most used reliever for a reason because he's got great stuff and when he's when he's on he, he gets a lot of quick outs he pounds his own and so I think if you get into a regional or conference tournament type setting or you need him as a weekend starter on short notice, you could move him back into that role certainly. But I also feel like maybe the coaching staff doesn't want to even bother with him. He's starting to find – his, or he's not starting to. He has found his, his role. He's embraced it, and he's kind of been rolling there for a while now. So I don't know if you want to potentially upset that. But I do think with Cooch Manor maybe missing this weekend, uh, Cliff Godwin says he's basically day-to-day at this point. Which is is good news considering uh, the you know the potential injury there, you know with Kuchmaner maybe missing this weekend. You need another starter somewhere. Is that going to be Sailor? Is that going to be Spivey? Jake Hunter? You know who is going to start beside besides Ryder Giles? It's the only guy we really know right now, and so there, somebody else is going to have to start. Either way, I think you're going to see it a situation where. If Sailor starts, maybe he goes four innings, but then you hand it off to the bullpen. I think you're still going to see more piece it together type pitching performances than hey, starter goes six, seven innings, and then you hand it over to one reliever, which is ironically what we saw against UCF, but I just don't think that's going to be the norm with how ECU staff is this year. Uh Skull also has the second question realistic chances Carson Wizen Hunt comes back next year? If so, what do you think the weekend rotation is? Could be a good one. As of right now, I personally would not expect Carson Wisdenhunt to be back. I mean, there's always a possibility, but I still think he's, he's a high enough prospect he could get first, second-round money. And at that point, I mean, it just makes sense to move on. I mean, I'm sure part of him wants to come back and pitch, and true to people, he can still dominate at this level, even with the the PPD or whatever happened with the suspension stuff. But I would expect him to move on at this point. I don't think ECU is counting on him. And if he does return, I mean, certainly he would anchor your rotation. He'd be one of the top pitchers in college baseball. But, honestly, I I look at next year, and I don't know what the hell the rotation is going to be. I don't even think Cliff Goblin does. So, I I don't. I I mean, do you leave Ryder Giles in as a weekend starter? I mean, if it keeps going like this, you you almost have to if he comes back. So, you know, there are a lot of unanswered questions heading into the offseason. And I think that's something that we'll just have to see how it all plays out. You know, do you move Sailor back into a, a weekend role at that point? Do you try to bring Spivey back and move in, him into a weekend role? I mean, there's a lot of questions. You got some good arms coming in as well. You got some young arms who are developing. So I think it's just it's a little too early to say. I don't even know if I can begin to project that. Sorry, Skull. But uh, if Wiz Hunt does return, that would certainly create quite the anchor to kind of to kind of lean on there in the starting rotation so there you have it Uh, let me make sure no more questions are in late and yeah it doesn't look like it so that'll do it for our question and answer segment and that'll do it for the hoisty colors podcast this weekend i believe it'll be either sunday or monday we'll have a, a fresh edition up recapping the crucial two lane series as ecu looks to hold on to first place in the american on the baseball front And we'll also be joined on our next Port of Call segment coming up in the next podcast by none other than Berg Pirate. And if you're a member of Hoist the Colors you know Berg Pirate asks me more questions than anybody. I will have the chance to ask Berg Pirate a ton of questions on the Hoist the Colors podcast. Who knows? Maybe he'll come on the show with like 15-20 questions he can ask me as well in audio form instead of in written form in the VIP chat. But looking forward to Connecting with Berg and looking forward to recapping the series against Tulane. So that'll do it. Appreciate you guys tuning in. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast.